Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Don't Waste Water podcast. I'm your host, Antoine Valter, and in today's episode, I'm very happy to welcome César Narvaez as my guest. César is the CEO and founder of Enixo Engineering, a deep tech startup in the water and sanitation industry, developing a new generation of wastewater treatment plants. But let me tell you first a story about a younger version of me over a decade ago. I was on my last internship before becoming a water engineer, working as a wastewater treatment plant operator. And at that time, I had one enemy, and it was Algier. Those crazy stuff would cause bulking in the sludge process, and we had a hard time fighting them out of the way. So I was quite curious when I discovered Cesar's take at Algier in a conference. How could he foster these things I was fighting for six months? It turns out it's a very rational story, and I'll let him tell you in a minute how his next step process could make a dent in the good old activated sludges market while reducing energy consumptions, reaching carbon neutrality, and maybe even soon running chemical-free. But right before, I'll need your help. I'm only one, and this industry is so large. If you like what you hear week on week on this podcast, please take a minute to share this episode with a couple of colleagues or friends. That's how we can spread the message, get even more incredible guests to share their insights with the community and ultimately have an impact. So please do it and I'll see you on the other side. You're listening to Don't Waste Water, the podcast that helps water professionals to improve their wastewater treatment, optimize their operation costs, and keep up with the latest market trends. This podcast is brought to you by GF Piping Systems. As a leading supplier of piping systems made of plastics and metal, GF Piping Systems is the global expert for the safe and reliable transportation of water, chemicals, and gas. For more information, visit gfps.com. Hi, Cesar. Welcome to the show. Hi, Antoine. My pleasure. I'm incredibly happy to have you because uh, I've discovered you at Polytech where you were giving a conference. It was a bit provoking to a certain extent. We'll come back to that later. And also you are fostering something which most people try to get rid of. So I loved how you are really taking the, if everybody zigs, you shall zag. I think you're replying that. But that's for our deep dive. So just before we go to that, let's start with our good old tradition, which is the postcard. And you're sending me a postcard from Montpellier. What can you tell me about Montpellier, which I would ignore by now? Well, Montpellier, pretty nice city. Pretty nice city. What I love from Montpellier is the dynamics. A lot of students, a lot of young people. Many, many young people trying to make an impact. It's like Paris, but a little bit more conservative in some cases, because there's a kind of population that's a little bit old, because, you know, when retreating, people go to the sea. So it's, a, it's like a very nice ambiance. I enjoy the place. Actually, I'm going to be honest with you. When I came to France, I came here for the first time and it's been now 10 years, you know, so I'm not going to move. I would really like to see you go to the street in Montpellier and telling them it's like Paris, but with something more, because Montpellier, Paris, it sounds like, you know, they have the sun, they have the sea and you compare them to Paris. I'm not <laughs> no, sure. They will like... Because of the dynamism, you know, the dynamics, the dynamic Paris is very dynamic. Yeah. Um, I was preparing for our discussion and was reading a bit what you were writing left and right, listening to some interviews. And I've seen that you, you said that you've been always interested in the water energy nexus and you're 
I always want to see when people start to get interested in something. You say always. So now I imagine you as a small child walking around and saying, I'm interested in the water energy nexus. Maybe that wasn't as early as that. So when did you first get interested in that full topic? Very good question. Actually, I was always interested in water since kid because when I was a kid, I, I, I lived in a place where we just had access to water like two hours per day. So you gotta, you know, the logistics, you gotta prepare in your house with buffer tanks and everything so that you can accumulate water for the 24 hour use. And you only have the access from, on, for only two hours. So I was always interested in water. I said, it's not possible. How is it gonna be? It's not possible to live like this, you know? We have already enough responsibilities in our lives. So if we gotta take care also of how we use water and how we get it. I mean, it's, it's not possible. You've grown up in, in Peru, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm Peruvian. And uh, my curiosity in water started like in a very, very young age. But when I created a company, because I just wanted to get involved in the water sector for many reasons, but we can dive in later. I realized that you cannot create a profitable technology or resource if you don't take into account energy. And then I started to think about water and energy. And you know, when you, when you wanna use water, tap water, for example, or treat water, you need energy. And the more energy you use to treat it, the less chances of profitability in this matter. And the opposite is also the same, because when you need energy, one way of producing energy is using sewage. You use the chemical oxygen demand, or COD, with anaerobic reactors to produce it, to transform COD into methane biogas energy. Also, you can use water physically to generate, you know, electricity with a turbine, hydroelectricity. You can also even transform water, H2O, into adrenaline and oxygen by electrolysis. So there's always deeply connections between these two resources. And I always knew that, well, like 12 years ago, I said, if I want to make an impact in the water industry sector, I got to understand energy, the energy sector before. That, that was uh, the whole thing about this nexus. And I know that now that there are some researchers working in that area. So they are making, making you know, deep studies about which is the, the best way to create the most energy efficient technologies. So, there are many aspects to that nexus because, you know, the, the energy sector is said to be the water sector with 10 to 15 years advance. So you can see the future if you look at the energy market, which is true, for instance, for the decentralized treatment, the distributed treatments, which is a bit the microgrid you see in the energy world. But you're also now addressing it from another angle, which is to say, actually, water is a kind of liquid energy. So you have to look at that. You said you wanted to be working in the water sector. So that was even before. Why so? Yeah, because actually when I was a kid, I didn't know precisely, but I, I was always involved with water technologies. So my background is fishing engineering. So what I get passionate is about uh, aquaculture, you know, and when aquaculture, the aquaculture sector, it's actually a, a symbiosis between sewage treatment and potabilization techniques. So you need to treat water biologically and physically to give an environment a correct environment for growing something, shellfish, fish, whatever. So I, would, I always gravitated around that. And then I realized when I really get into it that it wasn't about culture, actually. It was about water. And then I discovered microalgae and everything like that. So, but it started from there. So that makes for a smooth transition. I'm taking aquaculture and I'm putting it in the fridge because I guess that's going to come back in the conversation at some point. But you've mentioned algae and that's a bit 
what I was teasing when I was saying everybody wants to get rid of LG. I mean, one of my first wastewater projects, which I can recall when I was a young engineer and I was in a wastewater treatment plant and they had a big growth of this green algae and they were really desperately trying to get rid of it. And you do the exact opposite. You're saying, no, there's a lot of power inside. So when did you first discover there would be something to do about algae? What was your trigger? The trigger was when I was working in a lab producing microalgae to feed the shellfish and fish. So we needed to produce this biomass because algae is biomass. And for producing it, we have to feed the reactors, the bioreactors with nitrogen, phosphorus, even CO2. And well, that's the way of doing it. So there, because we need to preserve an exotic environment, so everything has to be chemically controlled and everything. And then while working with, with, with sewage, I realized this problem of eutrophication. I immediately connected the both of them. Isn't, isn't it possible to use this like a way of treating water? Because algae consumes nitrogen and phosphorus and I have to give it, give it to them permanently so it can produce biomass for fish. So that curiosity started there. And then I worked like for a year and a half with the Spanish colleagues that they were really, really doing some serious progress about this technology because they have, you know, a better configuration, Mediterranean coast, uh, more, more light, more higher temperature. And I worked with them uh, like a year and a half. And then I validated that this process had sense, you know, it had sense. And uh, yeah, well, they work with this technology, but in other kinds of valorization. But then I, I confirmed it. So, so I said, okay, perfect. It is viable. And now we have to start looking at, at the ways of controlling this environment. Because what we do here actually is we try to produce eutrophication devices controlled so that we can treat nitrogen and phosphorus and at the same time treat chemical oxygen demand COD. Because it's an excellent way of producing oxygen free, you know, for, for photosynthesis. There is nothing new about it. However, we, in the classic processes, like activity sludge or others, that I get, that I get, I, not, I have nothing, you know, uh, it doesn't bother me, activity sludge, that technology, like others. But it's very energetic. It's very energetic. And when you say energy, you have also to think about CO2 emissions. So, you know, there are some locations where you don't have the choice. You have to pass and use activity sludge. It's the only way, and I, I, I get it. However, there are also possibilities, and this one is a new one. And uh, there has been doing some studies before, but it didn't go far. So now we're trying to go far with this new approach. That's something I'd like to understand, because when you think of it, a wastewater treatment plant, it's water polluted who comes in a plant, and that plant is removing C and P. And then at the outlet, it's water, which is really good shape, which you can put back to the river or whatever. But it's really all about capturing this C and P. And as you said, the green algae, is really something which is capturing CNP. So why does it need NXO in 2021 to come with that? And why isn't it so obvious to everyone to use Algier? Yeah, great question, great question. Because before there was other, other complications, you know, because Algier has a problem. It's not a problem. It's, if you don't have the good approach, it is a problem. It's, it's a actually, challenge. Yeah, it's a challenge. Algier is very difficult to remove from water. And you need uh, energy efficient technology to extract it with the less energy amount possible. So at the time it was, it didn't exist or it existed, but it wasn't well developed. And one of our core 
activities is developing DAF, the software flotation technologies. We use DAF to remove algae from water in a very efficient way. That's why now it makes sense to associate algae reactors, photobioreactors or algae ponds with flotation reactors. You said it rightly, and I know I was teasing you a bit with this element of you are against activated sludge. I do know you're not against activated sludge. I know. <laughs> your presentation at Polytech was pointing at the fact that it was invented in 1914 and that we still rely on it. And, and that's absolutely true. It's something we've been talking about on this microphone. But there's also, you know, there, there was a famous study. I can't remember now from the top of my head. If I find it back, I put it in the, the episode note. But it was a famous study in the 60s, which was published in one of the most well-known scientific journal about the evolution of the efficiency of activated sludge. And the paper was five lines long, just to say, um, no evolution. It was already very good. It's still very good. That's it. And it was a bit to mock all these people who were investing millions in developing the process, but the workhorse was still here. And somehow, do you think you have a chance somewhere down the line to disrupt a process which is thus obvious than activated sludge? I think every city, because we're talking about wastewater treatment plants, and we, when we talk about wastewater treatment plants, we talk about cities, because we don't install this uh, for, for houses. No, 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 this is for a city. And every city has its own limitations and constraints and challenges. So I think there is a technology for a situation. Sometimes there, are, there exist technologies that are global and then can be as easily adapted. Activated sludge is one of them, for sure. But when you want to aim to the rationalization of resources, and energy is a resource, activated sludge is not always the, the best solutions because of what we said. Today, people are more and more concerned about CO2 emissions, they are more and more concerned about energy rationalization. And uh, activated sludge, well, it has this constraint. It, it's going to be ubiquitous, but you're going to realize that you're going to have to produce CO2 emissions and spend Electricity, and you know that now, I don't know, well, I think you know that because I, I listened a little bit to your podcast and great job you're doing, actually, great job informing people about this, this sector. And you know, when there is a non-rationalization activity treating water, you know who pays the bills of it. It's not the oil stress. It's not the, the company that, you know, that exploits the wastewater treatment plant. It's not the city. Is the citizen because the citizen is going to pay that potable water. And the cost of potable water in a city is composed of three factors. 40% is the price of producing and transporting that water, 20% is taxes, and the other 40% is the cost of treating sewage. So if your activity of treating sewage is not profitable, it's not, I don't know, rationalized, it's not those sectors who want to pay the consequences, it's the city, it's a citizen. Of the city. There would be a lot to unpack here, but I don't want to sidetrack you in a discussion about the price of water. Regarding this element of the carbon emissions, I've read on your website that wastewater treatment plants and treating wastewater in, in France represents 1% of the carbon emissions. If we zoom out, the full water industry, depending on the studies, is about 5 to 10% of the world's emissions. A big part of it being, of course, the pumps and everything we have in the networks. But nevertheless, I mean, it sounds sometimes like a, a dead spot uh, from the zero carbon movement. We are four times more impactful than the planes. And when you say zero carbon, people say, hey, stop flying. They don't say, I don't want to open my tap or to flush my toilet. So 
at some point, they're going to come for us and they're going to say, hey, you, by the way, you also have to be zero carbon like everyone else. And at that point in time, we have to go for solutions to reduce the carbon. My question is, did you see that already coming in the discussion, like you're discussing with the city, you're discussing with a, a big major, and they tell you, oh, by the way, we have to take care of carbon. Yeah, for sure. That's going to get here like very quickly. Last month, we were in a meeting. It's not Polytech, it's the Salon de Mer. This is the, the place where all the majors, you know, go to find solutions for their city. I'm going to be honest with you. The energy positive argument, they don't care. For me, it's carbon now. I want my city to be carbon neutral. How can I get there? So the fact that with our technology, we are not releasing CO2, but we are capturing CO2, it's way more interesting for them, way more interesting than the energy efficiency. Because in our processes, we don't spend a lot of, a lot of energy. That's why we can, we can accomplish this objective of energy positive, because, you know, microbiology produces oxygen that bacteria uses to treat chemical oxygen demand. So in our treating procedure, we have only have five motors. It's like three to four kilowatts, not more. So we can get the gap, the energetic gap, but for them, it's so small, the, the amount of energy that they, they have to, to pay for that they say, no, energy, it doesn't matter because the OPEX is going to be very low. However, the carbon objective, that interests me because we have a NAWA that they call the climatic plan where we are more concerned, actually. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. And this is not going to come uh, like in five years. This is now. This is happening now. Let's talk a bit about your algae. You present yourself as a deep tech. When I read that, I think this algae must have like nanoparticles inside or something really special about it. How wrong am I? Well, no, there's not micro nanoparticles. Let me assure <laughs> you for now. I would have guessed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, when you say deep tech, many people related it directly to applications, informatic, and numerical activities. But, well, well the, actual, the actual definition for deep tech is a tech that is disruptive. And we are clean tech, actually. We're a clean tech, but we are disruptive. We're doing something against the flow, like you said in the, in the beginning. And, yeah, we work, however, in ways of how we can make or create symbiotic interactions between algae and bacteria so that our processes are more and more efficient, like I said, or more and more energe energetic or, or more and more performant into treating CO2. Yeah, that we're working on that, yeah. But no, we don't have nanoparticles inside. Aside from the jokes around nanoparticles, when I'm saying green algae, you know, what you see is those algae which really are a sign that your river is in a bad shape or that your ocean is in a bad shape. Is it the same algae that you are leveraging? No, which actually one of the questions that people have is, is this reactor really robust? Is it going to be able to handle, you know, temperature variations, you know, different flows between the day and the night and all kind, this kind of technical stuff? And I say always, when you have an eutrophication problem in a river or something, is it simple to you to eradicate it? No, well, that's the same here. We're trying to promote, to foster this growing in a controlled environment for sure. And no, it's robust. We are today in January, well, December, but for me, my, my head is always, it's already in January. <laughs> and uh, we had like minus seven degrees. Algae was growing. Of course, metabolism, it's, it's reduced, but it, for sure, we're treating water. The metabolism is reduced, but we're treating water because the input is always between 12 and 25 degrees. And uh, it enables you to have a reactor between five and 10 degrees always. So yeah, 
it is possible. So the algae is part of your special sauce, and there's the dissolved air flotation. Ah, reactors. Yeah, we use. Yeah. So what is special about your reactor? Well, actually for the DAF, for the dissolved air flotation, there is nothing special. We have a configuration that is, that is a little bit new. It's more vertical than the horizontal that you know or do, that you can see normally. But there is nothing special about it. It's that configuration. It's geometrical, it's vertical. It consumes not a lot of energy. We have spent some time automating in a way that it doesn't, you know, gives you trouble and it's working. The only problem of this reactor is that we need chemical products sometimes, polymers. That's the only, the dark side of this solution. Well, actually, in, in every wastewater treatment plant, you have chemical products. But that's the only dark point of our procedure is that we need to destabilize microalgae so that we can extract them by flotation. And that's why we work in other areas like producing bioquadrants. Yeah. But we, what we're trying to do is actually we're going to really conceive and design a series of processes that are clearly ecological. So this biocoagulant, is that this uh, cactus slime which I've seen on your, on your website? Yeah, we're working seriously on that. So you, you look at the, at the cactus and you think, hey, that thing is going to disrupt the coagulant I'm usually getting from a chemical factory. <laughs> well, it wasn't exactly like that, but at the beginning, yeah, we just wanted to find solutions for destabilizing microalgae, which originally was bio, you know, which wasn't chemical. And we actually studied some uh, some possibilities. Yeah, we, we started with moringa, we started with uh, ketosan. But when I see that product on you know, the cactus line, I feel it very promising because it's completely transparent. It has a rheology, a, re a rheology compartment and that you say, well, it's something there. And uh, then we test it and for sure it's promising. We have already stabilized microalgae doing it. The problem now is we're trying to make, you know, an industrial way of producing Constantly, because for now we're just doing it, you know, in like the proof of concept is already done. Now it's we're in the phase of how we're gonna make it industrial, how we're gonna use this bioproduct available for many collectivities, for many cities, for water treatment private companies that would like to use it. We're in that phase now. Let me ask you a dirty question Why do you bother developing a biocoagulant? You're a startup. The thing which is disruptive about your process is the green algae. You could just be saying what I'm doing is already much better than the existing. Okay, I might be using some chemicals, but who doesn't in that industry anyways? Yeah, because uh, I had some returns. Well, many people say, well, many people of the sector says, yeah, you're, you're already doing a lot of things different. So try to focus on that. But when there's something that still bugs me, when I know there's, there's one critic possible, because, yeah, it's the guy who tries to treat water with algae by, you know, in a, in a very bi biological way and everything. But he uses chemical products. So, yeah, in, in every way, what you know, you have chemical products. But, you know, but there's something, you know, there's something that disturbs our way of treating of this new approach that is completely ecological and rational in energy. So, so it bothers me any time they, they ask me this. And that's why we're going to get it. We're going to get to the place where we're going to be able to say, yeah, this is chemical free. This is CO2 negative. This is energy positive. This is, and there's no one other argument around. So when we'll get there, I think uh, I'm going to be able to sleep uh, calmly. So once you've separated your algae from the water in your DAF without biocoagulants, but you've, you've separated it, what do you do with it? 
Ah, then what we do is we utilize uh, digest anaerobic digesters. So that was another different story, yeah, because at, at the beginning when we said that we wanted to conceive anaerobic digesters in a very small scale, you know, everyone tells us in France, mainly the ADEMA, you know, the, I don't know how to say it in English, but the ADEMA is the, the organization that- I can uh, see who's pushing the- The yeah. energy, the energy metallization. And they tell us since start, it's not possible. For a hundred person, uh, wastewater treatment plant for a hundred persons is going to be, it's not profitable. And we proved them wrong. You say it's profitable. It is profitable and it's possible. Everyone said, no, it's not possible. Don't even do it. Don't even bother. And, and we did it. So, you know, all along the way, we have to reinvent a lot of processes to make it profitable or, or to make it, to make it work. So to be honest with you, we started with a more difficult because we started with a very, very small wastewater treatment plant. When you have a big one, you know, there is scale augmentation. There is, there is an scale economics that is going to even make more profitable this way of treating water. Yeah. So what's special about your anaerobic digester so that you, you can be cash positive at 100 population equivalent when my old engineering books tell me, uh, from what I remember, that the scale at which it starts to be interesting is 30,000 population equivalent? Because we have establish the positions of the equipment so we, we can limit the cost of ATEX material. The ATEX material is what makes very difficult to have a return on investment quickly. It costs like four times the, the price of a pump, norm, a normal pump and a pump ATEX, it's like four times more. So when your CAPEX is higher, obviously your return on investment is, is higher. And then they say, no, it's not, it's not rentable. It's not profitable. So what we do is we have assembled differently the processes, one, first one, so we can limit the attics material, first one. Second one, we have redesigned a way, a way of stocking biogas. I don't know if you've seen it in wastewater treatment plus, you, you see like giant eggs that are being used to stock biogas. That giant eggs actually are two layer plastic membranes. The first one contains the biogas. The second one contains air to protect the biogas membrane. So you need, what do you need? You need a blower. No, this is not an, uh, an electric motor of more. So what we do is, okay, we're going to supreme that. We're going to tailor a new gasometer device that is going to be able to stock biogas without using energy. We did that also. And then the other way is that I told them, yeah, if you have a thermophilic digester, for sure, you're going to need energy and, 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 and energy input and calorie input. When in the Mediterranean coast, we have an advantage. We have a, a lot of you know, sunlight. And when you designed your building or your installation with a, an eco-climate, you know, principle, like perfectly south all that time, very well insulated, black so that it can have thermic inertia, you can get a psychrophilic digester, meaning ambient temperature working in and producing biogas. So we have to reconceive this way of, you know, producing biogas or transforming chemical oxygen demand on biomass, algae biomass into, into methane. It's interesting because when I first looked into your company, I thought you're a process company dedicating to this algae. And it turns out what I'm listening now, it's a bit more like if you're building an EPC, because basically that's what it is. The, the definition of an EPC is the one able to build the turnkey plant with all the stages. And if you're doing the process with the green algae, you're, you're doing the separation between the algae and the water, you're working on, on the waste side of it because you have this anaerobic digester, 
you really have all the elements. So is that your vision to building the plant? Yeah, for sure. We had no choice. We had no choice because at the beginning, we were just the people who were specialized in algae. And uh, if you present yourself like someone who is specialized in algae, you are obligated to collaborate with other companies that dominates and that handles digestion and that handles VRD, you know, you know, networking and civil engineering. And also the other guy who dominates process flotation and others. So we had no choice actually, because we tried at, at, at first to associate with someone who were capable of, the, of, of sizing a, and building an aerobic digestion plant for, me, for, for us. It was, you know, the price was, you know, impossible. It was very hard, very hard to attain profitability. So we were obligated to form ourselves, to educate ourselves because we are autodidact. And also we have associated with institutions that are well-renowned in that matter, like INRA, like the CNRS. And that way, yeah, you know, we started from there. Let me give a bit of context for the ones which would not be French like I am. What you're mentioning, like CNRS, it's like the, the biggest research institute there is in France, National Institute. INRA is probably the reference institute when it comes to all the topics linked to agriculture, uh, water treatment, environment. And you've also supported by the Water Agency, right? Yeah, for sure. So yes, we we presented the project like three or four years ago and they told us, okay, it makes sense. It makes sense. Start small and we'll see how it goes. And they found one part of the, of the construction. Yeah. It's a bit like, you know, these this fairy tales. You're a bit Cinderella, but I think you have the right fairies around you. So maybe you didn't find the right industrial partner from what you say, but from the institutional side of things, it's not like you are in a garage. It sounds like they believe in your process. That's what I'm trying to put forward. Yeah, for sure. They, they were very curious. They were very motivated to do some changes, which is not the case always. There are many, many people that decide if a new technology is going to be tested or not. And when you, when you are scared of something, actually, this kind of people, they don't like taking risk, risks. And uh, I had the chance, yeah, to know people that wanted to make changes, even if sometimes you get to take some risk. And that's why we're advancing. Yeah, yeah. In that matter, yeah. In that area, at least, yeah, we have great, great partners. Great partners. Talking of, of risks, do you have enemies? It's a tricky question. Let me tell you what I have in mind. I've seen, and I thought this is just not possible, I've seen that your, your next step pilot plant has been destroyed or at least Degraded several times? Yeah, yeah. Eight times. Eight times. Eight yeah. times? Yeah. I mean, one time is an accident. Eight times. You know, I, I can prove it. <laughs> but, you know, you, you said it best. But, you know, we're trying to protect the area always. We make, uh, you know, recordings and everything. But, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. The first one was the, the more painful. It cost us a lot of money. And we set back like four months. So it was really hard to handle that because at that time we, we were only three people in the company. So when I say, when I talk to people that we built a wastewater treatment plant only being three, they say, well, it's, it's impossible. Yeah, we can do it. So it takes time, but we can do it. And then at that point, yeah, it was really hard to, to handle this, uh, this vandalization issue and everything. But you know, at the end, uh, you just forget it and you, you move forward. But yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned that you were three at the time. I've read as well that you were eight co-founders. So what's the story behind that? 
I had the chance to know from the start that it was impossible to create a company in the water sector without having enough cash to survive until the first transaction gets done. I made an estimation and made a business plan. I said, I, I'm going to need at least for five or eight months before something can happen. It's not going to happen in the first month. Obviously, when you work in the public sector like we are, it's even slower. I'm going to be honest, after five years, we are starting now to increase this interest for us. And many cities are demanding information and getting curious and want to make the, want to move forward with us. But after five years, so in my business plans, I only established six months, you know, I needed, uh, you know, investors. And what I did, I created a business plan and then I pitched my idea to my Peruvian colleagues and two French colleagues. And they told me, okay, let's go, let's do it. That's why we were eight founders, but they are more like, uh, I see them like two times per, per year so that they can follow the progress and they learn and they also give us advices, but they are not directly implicated in the company. So they're more your business angels, more than your day-to-day -day colleagues. I That's right. That's get you. So we, we come back to the, you, you were three while building that first plant, okay, which got degraded several times. You say that the plant is, is fully automated. What do you need to watch to automate such a plant? What are you monitoring? You know, it's pretty simple to automate a plant when you, have, when you don't have a lot, of, a lot of motors, you know. What we are trying to do is, like I said, is create the most energy efficient process. So we use gravity as much as we can. So there is a conception that makes water flow from one process to the other gravitationally. And on, we only have five motors. So, you know, surveying five motors and five or six valves, pneumatic valves, it, is, it isn't that hard, you know. Because at the start, we knew that we were going to compete with wetlands technology. And wetlands technology, you know, is the simplest form of technology of treating water. They are not the most efficient, but they are pretty simple. And um, these kind of cities, yeah, they prefer to use this kind of technology of wetlands because they're easy. And they don't want to take care of this uh, water treatment solution or plant, you know. So we knew from the start, we're going to make it simple, easily automated. And that's what we do. And we control pressure for the reactors, pressure in the biodigester. There are some uh, level sensor switches, flow meters, variable frequency drivers, you know, not, nothing from the other world, actually. First, on the wetlands, which are the, the simplest of all, beware, because um, I, have, I can remember having said something very similar to a research engineer when I visited the, the Circe and he almost killed me, said, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm making research on wetlands for 10 years now. Don't ever tell me it's the simplest ever. There's some ecological engineering behind oh, no, that. For, for sure. Yeah, for sure. There's some calculations in terms of um, on, on chemistry, actually. It's a biological reactor. There's a biological filtration. So yeah, for sure, you have to, you have to make some calculations so you can design it. But then when it is designed and then when, it's, when it is running, for the exploitation part, for the people who are going to take care of it, is the most simple form. It's the most simple form. That's why it has a lot of success. That's why it has a lot of success right now. I was not trying to sidetrack you. It's just that <laughs> I was remembering that. Yeah, that, yeah, that. for sure. For sure, for sure. I understand. But what sounds really interesting about you, your approach, your technology, everything, is that you mentioned that it works at the scale of 100 population equivalents and it can be fully automated. If you put that together into the equation, it makes for probably a good solution for decentralized and distributed treatments. Hence my question, is, is that your 
vision that you're going to do something which is going to work on small scale a bit everywhere? Or do you say, okay, no, that's just a demonstrator, a proof of concept, and we want to go for the big size plans? In our opinion, yeah, for sure it's going to work because we have proven it. The puck is, is already working and running. But the more chemical oxygen demand we have, the more pollution we have, the more profitable the process is. Like I tell you, because of the scale economics. So no, we're aiming to bigger, to bigger cities. So if more COD is better for you, would it be interesting for you at some point to look at the industrial market? Oh, great questions. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We're looking right now to two industries, uh, agro-industries actually, from wine and cognac. Yeah, they have uh, flows that has a lot of COD, chemical COD, yeah. And uh, we're trying to size and dimension units. We don't have yet an installation or a setup or something, but we're working, already working on it. Reflect, you know, thinking a lot about it. It makes sense. It also makes sense. You mentioned at the very beginning how aquaculture was how you, you got the trigger to start all of that. And if I got it right, you're still somehow involved in aquaculture. So is it also something you're looking into? Yes, we, because we do it because, as I said before, we need treasury. Treasury and cash is, the, is like the key element so that we can go forward and, and, and make innovation. If we don't have the possibility of investing financial resources in the algae sector and the water treatment sector, well, this innovation couldn't happen. So we, we have to propose solutions to other industries like agriculture industry, like uh, air treatment industry, like privatization industry. And uh, we put up front our competitions, our competency, our know-how to these industrial private people. That's why we generate revenue and that's why we use it in innovation. We want to make sure we're there when our innovation is already mature, you know, because I've seen some other companies that always go directly into the innovation. They spend all the resources. They survive by grants and grants and grants. But there's a moment where, you know, the pigeons has to roost. You know, you have to pay back. And uh, if that technology or the industry is very slow, like in our case, this is a public sector. Well, you're going to make sure you're alive, you know. So that's why we do both. I don't know if you've um, already seen what Paul O'Callaghan is publishing. He's the CEO and founder of Blue Tech Research. He's also the one that directed the, the Netflix documentary Brave Blue World, which also features at some point during the documentary some green algae treatments. But he's written a thesis on the speed of innovation adoption in the water industry. And what he's demonstrating is that if you're looking at the time where you say, I have something and you develop it and you go through the pilot phases and you have the proof of concept and then you start to deploy to the first movers and then you go to bits more of this uh, early majority, the point in time where you're in the middle of the market, we are talking of 25 to 35 years. So it's a marathon you started. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And he's totally right. He's totally right. It's the hardest, the hardest part. To go from zero to one, to one to a hundred, for sure, I'm pretty convinced of that. Well, in the water industry, quite often zero to one is, is doable. One to 100 is a crazy challenge. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But talking of that challenge, when I listen to you, it sounds like you have this uh, bootstrapped approach to business development. You want to have this one hand, which is uh, what you're doing with other industries, which is financing your, your growth prospect on the long run, which is what you plan to do on the municipal scale. Did you consider at some point trying to raise funds and to have investors on board? We have thought about it, to be honest with you, because it could be 
way more easy to advance, to focus on innovation and make it, you know, appear to the market quicker. But uh, as now we're going slowly, you know, it's like organic growing, you know, we grow, but slowly, but surely, you know, we have the full autonomy to decide where something has made sense and we go after that. Sometimes when you have investors, it's normal. They want the shortest return investment and they, they push you where this solution would be more you know profitable in the, in the short term, which is not the case in our case. We're going actually for the long run, like you said. And that gives us full autonomy to decide where we're going to place our financial and human resources in investigating and building. So we have full autonomy now. I like that. I like that a lot. I don't know if I'm ready to lose it, to be honest. We're thinking seriously, very seriously, because my I have two commercial guys and they told me we could go way more fast, way more fast and be careful because timing is important. Timing is, is as important as the technology. So if someone in other companies starts, which I see already, Suez and Veolia are trying now to work also with Agi, which that reconfort us because that seems that makes sense and it makes sense. So if they are doing it also, it's because it makes sense. So, you know, it's more credibility for us toward the clients, the public sector. But, you know, you got to be careful because they have way more resources than we have. But you are more agile than they are. For sure. Yeah, for sure. So we are, we are evaluating this possibility. Definitely. I would say for you, it's, a, it's probably a very good news if they are going into that area, because when you're alone, it's suspicious, you know, in that market, which is quite conservative. So That's right. Exactly. As I said, that gives us a little more credibility because they are also working on that right now. So when we approach these kind of people, also, they know, ah, yeah, I saw a reportage. I saw a documentary about Suez working on that also. So, yeah, the advantage is where we have a little more advanced. But, you know, we got to be careful. What is your next big milestone? My next big milestone is going to be the construction of Volta. Volta is a new approach. Of, of the, it's actually the same approach, but with different technology. Because for next step, we have worked with algae pumps. And now we're working with photobioreactors and we're going to build 34 of eight meters of high and 600 millimeters in diameter. This kind of technology makes the possibility of building this kind of step, this uh, wastewater treatment plant, you know, in uh, places where you have uh, land footprint reduced. Because that was the main uh, critics to these algae technology reactors that you have to put into a higher hydraulic retention time. So you have a bigger installation. You need a bigger installation. In our case with this kind of bioreactors, well, we're you know, suppressing this problem and now we're making affordable to big cities in small places. So this is gonna be handled in the next year, in 2022, in Montpellier also, in Montpellier. So I invite you now to come and see the installation. I hope we're gonna have the opportunity to meet and you know discuss around it. And uh, yeah, I think uh, this is going to be uh, in progress all 2022 and 2023, it's going to be finished. How do you see Volta? Is it another proof of concept or is it an industrial product, which is now a showcase that people could be buying on the spot and reproducing somewhere else? That's right. So it's a demonstration unit, but it's also a commercial place where 
seed majors and engineers can come and project themselves really like looking something. Because at the beginning, I started to, you know, make some prospect, like going to see some majors, proposing the idea directly. And they always told me, ah, yeah, it's promising, it's interesting, but I want to see it. Nobody wants to be the first in that industry. For sure. So we were obligated to build this next step plant. And now it exists. And now we're going more, we're moving forward to the next. That's the evolution of the technology. You mentioned the Salon des Mers, so this big mayor come together, which is which happens in France every year, where all the mayor, all the, the cities can come and visit. How did they react to your proposal there? Ooh, it was very variated. It's like 50%, like very promising. 25%, like if this is done nice, why anybody did it before? The classic. So you have to, you have to tell them, too explain good to them, be true. too yeah. good to be true, exactly. <laughs> And twenty-five uh, percent with a lot of technical questions, and um, and uh, well, hopefully, we, hopefully we're, we were there to explain them our new approach because we have to reinvent a lot of process, like I explained to you before. This is not classical. This is like this, there are classic procedures, but they were enough modified so that we can apply it together. So yeah, we had a very a very a very good uh, very good spot with interested people was a very nice uh, saddle for us. Last question for me in that deep dive. I have a crystal ball. My crystal ball allows you to have a look and to, to look where you are in five or 10 years. You, you have to decide because you're, you're looking in that crystal ball. So tell me, what do you see? Where are you? I'm always the CEO of Nexo, for sure, for sure, but with more leverage. And for me, leverage, it's not only financial, it's human resources. Because uh, I realized that when I was alone, like five years ago, I do X. Today, we're six people. In one year, we do like 20X. And I hope in five years, we're going we're gonna to be like at least like 25 or 30. And then I'm sure this is going to be something. There, we're going to make an impact. We're already knowing and feeling that the impact is coming, for sure, for sure. But I'm, I'm sure that if we're at 25 or 30, yeah. This is going to be, um, I think, uh, you know, democratized. Like, I don't know, not, I don't know that term in English, but it's you know more, more common. It's going to be part of more common sense for others. Yeah. Well, to close that deep dive, I can tell you that uh, I'd be very happy to visit your Volta plant. Actually, it sounds very interesting because I still believe. I mean, you you explain how your target is is the big size, but I'd still challenge that and have a look at how that could work on the distributed side of things. Because if you can reduce the footprint, have something efficient. I'm just saying, why not? I haven't seen any numbers, but I'm just saying, why not? Yeah, for sure. It'll be under pressure. If that's fine for you, I propose you to switch to the rapid fire questions. It's time for the rapid fire questions. So in that last section, I present you short questions, which you can answer with short answers. And you will notice that I'm always the one which is sidetracking the conversation. My first question is, what is the most exciting project you've been working on and why? Uh, right now it's Volta. We haven't even constructed anything, but the possibility of designing this new wastewater treatment plant, yeah, it's very exciting. Yeah, all day we are three people working in plants and processing engineering and electricity and everything. So that's the most exciting part for now. Can you name one thing that you've learned the hard way? Um, trusting, trusting people. Why was it the hard way? Because I'm Peruvian and I always assume that the first time, you know, you have to have fully confidence in someone. 
So I give you the possibility to, I give you the possibility from the start to be transparent with me. And, and sometimes it's not a good idea. You know, you can't be betrayed. It, it happens. It happens. Is there something that you are doing today in your job that you will not be doing in 10 years? Accounting. I hate it. Accounting. <laughs> ah, yeah. <laughs> that came from the hurt. <laughs> ah, yeah. No, you know, no hesitation. Yeah. What is the trend to watch out for in the water sector? And you're not allowed to tell me green algae. Ah, very nice. Very good question. Um, I think technology, memory technology is very promising. Membrane technology, I think. And I know that now they were mixing membrane technology with anaerobic technology. So I think that is that, that is going to be something else. I, I, I know they are, for now, in lab-scale prototypes, but if it works, so energy production and having a quantity of water that it's produced, like getting out of a membrane, I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, for sure. This is promising. I had um, Gilad Yogev from Fluence discussing on that microphone about membrane aerated bioreactors. So um, there you have really the, the two sides of the anaerobic and the aerobic side because you're you haven't. Yeah, definitely. Well, he explains that much better than me. Listen to the <laughs> <laughs> but but it, it, it's exactly what you're explaining. I think in the interview at some point he says that MABR is what they found while they were busy doing microbial fuel cells. So it's really on this edge between the two words. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Again, this water energy nexus you were mentioning. Exactly, I think, yeah. If you were a world political leader, what would be your first action to influence the fate of the world's water challenges? Um, actually, this is very simple. It's promoting. It's promoting startups, promoting clean techs to make something different because big multinationals don't have the envy to do it. Their business model is already you know, adapted, established. So it's more hard for them because there are more inner seeds. You know, it's, it's heavier to move to someone different, to innovate. While a startup, a clean tech, you know, from the start, it's very dynamic. It's me who takes the decision and who goes forward something. And we have, you know, the motivation, the envy. So it's, it's very simple. You have to promote these clean tech startups by, at start, I think, by maybe giving some grants for developing projects for making connections internationally. You know, this is something that's already happening in Occitanie, in our region. We have a president which is very, very, very ambitious in a good way. And uh, she is promoting heavily this in, in Kintex while he provides grants for developing new technologies and projects or something. So yeah, yeah, this is the way. I think this is the way. Let me check if I still know a bit about French politics. Is Carole Delga? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She is the one who, like, six years ago, he, she said that she wanted to transform Occitanie in the first energy-positive region in Europe and in the world. And when I hear that, you know, one day I, I, I went to a conference of her and she said, we would like that Montpellier becomes the new Silicon Valley of the Mediterranean coast. And I think, oh yeah, this girl, it's like, you know, she want to make some changes. You know, she, she wants to make, she wants to push forward this, this region. You're going to have a war against Sophie Antipolis. It's going to be interesting. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> Probably. All jokes aside and all French private jokes, sorry for the ones with, which don't have the, <laughs> <laughs> the, the reading key. I was reading, you know, Maya Mazzucato's book on the entrepreneurial state and how 
state-driven innovation can support startups and, and what what you can do to do that. And by the way, Maria, if you listen to that, that microphone is open to you whenever you want. <laughs> but what yeah. she was uh, writing is that what's really the driving factor is not to finance the startup. Sure, it helps, but that is not the decisive factor. The decisive factor is to commit to use the technology which is conceived and which is developed. So for instance, the state would come to you and say, okay, we're going to help you to develop your technology, but we commit that today that you have a proof of concept. We take three, four, five large-scale plants and we equip them with your technology. So they are not giving you money to develop. They are making you an advance payment of what you're going to deploy on the long run. And so you have the certainty that you have an outlet market. And I think, but that is now my very personal opinion, I think that is really what's missing right now in our sector, which you mentioned to be really conservative. We are missing this element of if you have a value-driven innovation, if you have something which is adding 20, 30, 40%, which which is better than the existing, there is really a wall because... You will always hear, but what I have is, is working. Why should I change? We have to create this sense of crisis that's, that everybody gets that, hey, this is game-changing. I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. You know, the, the government can influence, you know, decisions of the population. And it's simple. It's by tax advantages. You know, we want to promote electric cars. So, yeah, they have tax advantages for people who buy electric cars. And who we have tax advantages or primes for people who eliminate diesel cars. So, you know, the government has a role in this in this matter, but we, we don't have to remember, you can have a perfect idea, the best idea in the world, but if the population doesn't accept it because it isn't, you know, it doesn't work well, it's not profitable, you know, it's not what you promise, it doesn't bring you the value you promise, it's going to be eliminated naturally, naturally by the market, by the people. So I warned you that I might be sidetracking. <laughs> Let me bring you back on track. Uh, my last question for today is, would you have someone to recommend me that I should definitely invite on that microphone as soon as possible? Ooh, ooh, you know, I, I think I think a Spanish guy would, would do it, uh, like, like an Aqualia's guy. I love those, those guys, uh, like Frank Rogala from Aqualia. He is a guy. He is a monster. Jose uh, Ramon, they are engineers. They are, you know, they very competent people and who also work with algae and with other technology that is going to make a change, I, I think, in the wastewater treatment sector, animals and all that stuff. So this is serious people, yeah. Well, Cesar, it's been a pleasure discussing a good hour with you. If people want to connect with you, uh, having listened to you or want to reach out to you, where shall I redirect them? Yeah, actually to our, to our website. So it's www.nxo.e.com or our LinkedIn page or Instagram page. You know, we're always very reactive to, to, to our messages. So as always, the links will be in the description. Yeah, perfectly, for sure. And, and as I said before, I, I hope you, you, we're going to have the chance to meet and we're, you're going to have the chance to visit our installation like in a year. Actually, yeah, I'm hooked. So uh, <laughs> sure, I'd be happy to. Yeah, that would be nice. Thanks a lot. Well, thank you for your time. And I appreciate what you're doing. Thanks for listening to Don't Waste Water. This podcast was brought to you by GF Piping Systems. Loved this episode? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. See you next time.